Hey, it's Pastor. I am so excited you could join us uh, as we hear and listen to the Word of God. And I'm always hoping and praying that He's going to specifically guide your life and give you the hope and the peace that you cannot give to yourself. He is the power every time He promises to work through this Word. If He has worked in your life, we want to hear about it. Please email us, let us in, encourage us uh, by emailing office.amazinglove at gmail.com. Also, if you'd like to support this ministry, make messages like this ongoing, uh, go to our giving tab online or download the app. Go to the app store and search Amazing Love Luther. But now, may you continue to grasp how wide, high, and deep and long is the love of Christ in this for you. Thank you. Hey, good morning once again. How are we doing? Doing all right? I love being in this space. It kind of reminds me of what God do, does in our life. We're, we're never there yet. We're always in progress, right? And this space kind of pictures that. Well, to get us going to this morning, I wanted to talk about the fact that I don't believe the German language is the most beautiful language created. Would anyone agree? Uh, let me give you some examples. Um, if I say I love you in English, it just kind of rolls off the tongue. Love sounds nice. If I say it in German, ich liebe dich. I mean, it doesn't sound as good. If I say I love you, man, ich liebe dich, Mensch, right? Or let's say I'm trying to tell my wife she looks beautiful, or, or you're trying to pick up someone and tell them they look beautiful. You, you can walk up to a girl and say, you look gorgeous. In German, du bist schön. And then finally, with like family members, when, when you want to, again, call them sweetheart or honey, we have so many different expressions for, for good things for our children or, or ones in our family. If you, you say sweetheart, it sounds good, but in German, mein Schatz. Sounds like a doctor's visit, right? Mein Schatz. Anyway, sorry. But do you know that if it were not for the work of one man, we might all be speaking German in this country? Well, that's how the story goes. In 1775, there was a guy named Frederick Muhlenberg, who was German and also Lutheran, by the way. And, um, and it was said that as they were going to take a vote for the national language, he was the one vote that decided we would speak English. He said it would be better for the German people to acclimate and learn the language of the land. Now... I looked into Snopes, and that might be an exaggeration of how Frederick Muhlenberg was used, but still it proves the power of one man and one vote. Well, if that's not the example, uh, there, there are also other examples of the influence of one person. I remember being at a missionaries conference, and, and there was a scenario where a church could have moved from meeting in the pastor's parsonage basement, because that's how they used to do it. Aren't you glad we're not there? Uh, <laughs> 
Or they could move into this formerly Catholic Gothic cathedral free of cost because they were going to rent out some of the property as they, you know, took it over. And it came down to one person. One person's vote to move from the parsonage basement into this beautiful position they're in in Kokomo, Indiana. My goodness, thankful for that one person. Well, if it isn't just about one vote, isn't it true that one person can have a forever influence on our lives and leave their mark of influence? Maybe there's someone you met that have changed your worldview, that that has forever made you a different person. I remember growing up and my uh, wrestling and football coach was uh, this man, Jerry Ewings. And I'm not sure how much he taught me about wrestling and football, not a knock against him, uh, but he sure did teach me what a godly man looked like. I think of manhood when I look at Pastor Jerry Ewings and how he instilled what a good guy is supposed to be and what a good guy is all about. I was thankful for that mark. Well, these stories about a a man who saved us from speaking German and and the story of an influencer, they warm the heart because I believe something. I believe we all want to know that we can make a difference. I believe we're all here saying we might be one, but one can be remarkable. One can leave an impact. One can, can, can leave some meaning on this world. I believe we all have that to a degree. In fact, maybe that's why you came to church. You're seeking for meaning. And that's what we want to do some work with today. Okay? We're going to answer the question, how might God use me to do some great things? And I think what we'll learn is that, okay, we're made differently, and we might have different work to do, but God can, in fact, use us to do phenomenal things. We learn this as we get into Esther. Let's get into that story. We're, we're in week three, and, and uh, last week we learned how Haman had an evil plot, a horrible plot. Um, he was mad at a, a dude named Mordecai, and, and he was so mad he didn't just want to get back at Mordecai. He wanted to take out his whole people. It is estimated that there were 15 million Jews at this time. I mean, so this is genocide. This is what Pol Pot thought to do in Cambodia. This is what Hitler did in Germany during the Nazi regime. This is what mobsters do, and it is bad, right? Take you and your family. But Esther, we see a response. Esther, we see activity from. And we're going to learn that Esther might just be one person, but man, she can make a difference when living in obedience to God. Let's turn there and see what she does. Or decides to do. We're in Esther chapter 4, um, in the middle of the story, hearing how bad it is, and, and see where God leads Esther. So it said, when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, especially the edict against the Jews, that's what it was referencing, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order for the, Jew, for, for, for the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of the sackcloth, but he wouldn't accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city, in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay, 
into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews, which, by the way, was 375 tons of silver. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence, to beg for mercy, and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, Well, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they should be put to death, lest the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But thirty days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. And who knows, but you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. This is the word. So Mordecai decides what he's going to do. He's going to try to play on Esther. And Esther is going to decide what she's going to do. She is going to go to the king. And just because they do what they can do, they're going to accomplish something great. And we have a lot to learn from today's discussion. Have you ever heard the uh, principle in life, high risk, high reward? High risk, high reward. I was watching a documentary this past week. It was called Chasing Failure. It was of a man who emailed a lot of the NBA uh, organizations and wanted to know if he could try out in hopes that he might fail because he was chasing failure. Now, some people actually responded. The Boston Celtics said, well, that's a novel idea. We would like to see you fail, but we just don't have time. Thank you very much. Other teams, too, they at least responded to the email, you know, great idea, you know, don't be afraid of failure. Okay, very good. And one team actually gave him the shot. One team says, you got two days to get here on Monday, you can try out for the Phoenix Suns. Now, his name was Ryan Leak, and he went there that day, and he says that he was YMCA good. But YMCA good is not on the same level as NBA good, and he learned that real quick. He didn't get all the shots that most of the NBA players made. In some drills that make 20 out of 20, he had like 13 out of 20. And it all culminated at the very end when there was a three-minute sprinting drill. So again, this horror, for three minutes, sprint as hard as you can. Now, most of the NBA players could do about 26 to 30 laps. He was getting to like 12. And at about 12, he said he couldn't feel his legs anymore. At 12, he said, I am not an NBA player. At 12, he was feeling embarrassed. But it was during those sprints that the coach, Coach Hornacek, was cheering for him, saying, finish strong. It was during that time where he felt embarrassed that the other Phoenix Suns were around that they started clapping too. And he recalls that for a day and in a moment, he was part of the Phoenix Suns. That Coach Hornacek was no, no, no other coach but his coach. And those Phoenix Suns players were his failures, his players. But he wouldn't have had this reward if he wouldn't have been willing to risk it. 
if he wouldn't have been willing to risk embarrassment, of being told no, of being called a fool for everything that he was doing, trying out, thinking he, YMCA good, was good enough for the NBA. You know, if there is a great story of high risk and high reward, I know of none better than what we've just considered. So what is the story for Esther? Esther could go to the king, but the king in that day had the right, if you weren't summoned, if you weren't called, to put you to death. It is said that there are pictures of the Persian king who had a big guy with an axe next to him and like hieroglyphics. And this guy could, I don't know, cut off your head or spear you or something because that was just the way it was. You don't disturb the king. But Esther knew what was at stake. Her people, 15 million of her people were at stake if she did nothing. That is high reward. And so Esther said very famously, you know what, I'm going to risk it. And she said, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, it's a high risk, and if I perish, I perish. You and I are familiar with this, aren't we? See, see what I believe is, is maybe at one time you put some risk out financially. Maybe it was an initial public offering. Maybe it was taking a, a job location somewhere else. Maybe it was starting up a business. I'm not sure, but we're familiar with the high risk. We're familiar with that in relationships. If you ever want to confront someone over what they did wrong to you, that's risky. But the reward is you might gain a better relationship at the other end. Maybe you risked it because at one point or another you asked someone out on a date and they said yes and now they're here in the row with you. We know high risk, high reward. But how do we now change this and use it for a different purpose? See, what I want to talk to you about is this. That I believe we should risk for the Lord. When is the last time you stepped out on a limb for the sake of Jesus' name? For the sake of the kingdom of God? When is the last time you challenged God with His very own promises, of which there are many? For example, look at this promise from God that is both high risk and high reward. It's a summary for how to live life. It says, whoever finds their life, guess what, will lose it. But whoever is willing to lose their life, if you're willing not to chase after the things that everyone else is chasing after, if you're willing to do your household a little bit different than what is the norm, if you're willing to prioritize the things of God over what your friends say you should have and over what your friends say you're doing and what is culturally acceptable, if you're willing to do that for God, what's this say? Then you will truly find it. You know, Jesus, he put it a different way. He said, you want to do high risk, high reward. He said, then seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. All the things people are chasing after, all, all the, the, the food and the experiences and the houses, everything else, if you just put him first, all those other things you're worried about will fall into place. Do you believe it? Are you willing to risk it? You know, God talks about money. And so we shouldn't talk about money every Sunday, right? You know, I've heard bad things about that. But every now and then it's good to talk about the money that God gave us, right? Do you know that there is a high-risk, high-reward principle in Proverbs? Look at this one. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. God says, you just trust me. Step out on a limb. And what's great in every other scenario in business, you don't know how it's going to work out. And when dating, they might say, no, I'm sorry. But with the Lord, he catches us. 
When we are willing to step out, that is what many faithful Christians have found, that he does catch us and he uses it for his purpose. This past week I was talking about the risk of sharing your faith with someone new. That's scary, isn't it? Have you ever tried to share your faith with someone new? Someone you just met? Someone at your work? And sometimes, you know, it does get awkward. Sometimes they do disagree with you. Sometimes they slam the door. That's been my experience. There is risk involved. But friends, there's reward. Because every now and then when you invite them to church, they show up. And guess what? They meet with Jesus. And every now and then when you tell people about what God is doing in your life, it leads them changed. It leaves them with a spring in their step and encouraged. I've seen it. As you just talk about what God brings and what God offers. Yeah, it's risky, but, but man, there's reward in it, right? But this whole section of someone mediating because the law had come down, of a high-risk, high-reward scenario, reminds me of someone greater. See, Esther isn't the greatest mediator who risked it all. There's one greater named Jesus. See, the story goes that at one point or another, the verdict came down for all of us to die because the wages of sin is death. And God could have killed us because of all the times we didn't take uh, the opportunities before us, because of all the times we, we didn't hold him to his promises. God could have said, I'm done with you. But Jesus made a calculated risk from the beginning of time. And on a day we call Good Friday, the Heavenly Father did not hold out a golden scepter, but rather he swung his gavel down. And Jesus paid for the sins of the world. Jesus did what only he could do so that we could be set free. There was a calculated risk and a calculated reward, and we are now one through him. How great is it that our Savior led the way in this? That he didn't just say, if I perish, I perish. He knew he would, but he did it because you were on the other side. That's the news we've come to hear again. That we're saved through Jesus. But now as we talk about God using us, as we want him to make the most of us, I think sometimes we get stuck because we end up comparing ourselves to others. I know every now and then I watch different pastors and I'm like, man, if I could only preach like them. Man, if I could only have the platform they have. Man, if I was just in that place, it might go a little bit differently, right? You ever done that? Like, like maybe for you it's like wanting to be the soloist at church and you can't sing a tune. Like, oh, if I could just sing like Nate and Meredith and Phil and Courtney, like, that'd be great, just belt it out, yeah. But can't hold a tune, right? You know, I, I think God has made us very differently for a purpose. And, and to think of it a different way, it, it's kind of like uh, tools in a toolbox. I, I brought my toolbox because there were renovations going on this week. I don't know how to use them, but I brought them. So anyway, um, it's pretty cool. And they're, they're for my sermon illustration because that's the only use they really get. But anyway, um, and, and so sometimes, like, let's say you're a blade and God made you to be a blade. And, and you're just camping out. And you're like, I can't be a blade. I don't want to be a blade today because I want to be a hammer. And until I can be what the hammer's doing and, and do all the things the hammer does, I'm not even going to use my blade today because the hammer's better, right? And the hammer's probably thinking of the blade like, no, no, no. Man, I just wish I could open stuff and do what the blade does. I'm sick of being a hammer. 
hard, right, you know? And, um, and, and maybe both of them are like, oh, but, but if we could both just be the screwdriver, because everyone wants to be the screwdriver. I mean, talk about doing stuff. They're, they're awesome, right? You know, and so no one's happy because the screwdriver exists, right? There's that person out there just on a pedestal, right? Uh, no one's happy. Or think of it this way. Sometimes, sometimes you're, you're in the, the position of someone else. Um, like, like maybe you, you got to a company and you're comparing yourself to another company. Or, or you got to a role that someone else was filling. And your purpose to do the same thing, like, like you're, you're supposed to be a screwdriver, but the person who came before you was a, a Phillips and you're a flathead, right? And everyone's like, why aren't you more like the Phillips? And you're like, I'm a flathead, right? I still screw stuff in, but I'm just, you know? And then the screw gun comes in, right? You know, and they're like, come on, hold the, I don't want to follow out a screw gun, right? You know, I just got a flathead here, right? Have you ever paused? Because you wish you could be like someone else or doing what others do. You know, one of the points of the lesson is this. That you don't have to do what others do. Or you don't have to do more than you can do. But just do what you faithfully can do. You see, Mordecai, he didn't have an audience with the king. He couldn't get an audience with the king. He couldn't change the king's mind. But Mordecai knew that if I just go to Esther, that's my role. I'm going to influence Esther, and I'm going to let Esther do what her role is. And so Esther, she says, well, I can't, can't, I can't change a king's mind. But you know what I can do? I can at least approach the king. And I can devise a plan, which is wickedly awesome, by the way. And I can devise a plan, and I can't change his mind, but I can, I'm going to do what I can do um, in the position I'm in. I'm going to leave the rest to God. That is what God is calling us to do. You don't have to be anyone else. It's all right, you're a blade or a hammer, with a flat head. But just do what you can. You know, it's so important as we talk about ministry of amazing love. And yeah, there's an open forum after. And, and we have some great plans. Like uh, uh, we're going to move to two services soon to reach more people, which is awesome. But what this means is that we need tools who are willing to be put to use. Tools who say it's okay that I'm not a singer and it's okay that I'm not a pastor, but I'm going to allow God to use me because what we're doing is we're building something. What we're doing is we're extending the kingdom of God. What we're doing is important. God can make a difference if I just do my part. You see that in the renovations. We're in the midst of it. And many people came together for this. It started three and a half years ago with a capital campaign of people who said, I'm going to give to this effort. Then it went to people who were going to develop and say, well, this is what it's going to be like. And then there are those who are writing the checks and those who are tracking the budget. And then there are those who are doing the work and our volunteer electricians who are awesome. They just did a ton of work this last week anyway. And then there are those who, who are going to help on work days and, and move in the new chairs. And, and there are those who are praying and, and prayer is so powerful, right? And we all have a part to play. So do what you can. And one of the things we learn is that, okay, you might be one, but you're not alone. You're not alone. Did you see it with Esther? So Esther decided what she was going to do, and it was scary to step out on a limb. But then she said, but you guys, you Jews, you got to pray for me. You got to pray. I'm going to do my part, but I can't do it without your support and what you can do. You can't be there in the court, okay, but you can pray for me. And you can encourage me, and you can fast for me, and we can call on the attention of God. I saw that this past week. 
you know, it was the funeral for uh, Lindsay Schmidt and for her boys. And um, I've never so joyed in the fact that I wasn't alone. But there was a strong showing of other Christians. And someone sang beautifully, I will rise, and reminded us what our destiny is. And someone proclaimed that we can trust Jesus even in the face of tragedy. And others set up the church so that people could be welcomed. People came together so that we would have hope in what seemed like a hopeless situation. That's the church at its best. You may be one, but you are not alone. But there's another reservation. Sometimes we think that maybe we're just too broken. That, Pastor, you don't know my life. You don't know my story. You don't know my proclivities. How in the world could God ever use me because of who I am? Or, or maybe you're looking at your circumstances and, and we sometimes say, well, well, when I get there, then I'll do that. We have a when-then faith. When I improve, when the situation changes, then I can actually fulfill what God is calling me to fulfill. But friends, your brokenness is not a problem for God. In fact, I wanted to share with you what I think is just an awesome song, something you can rock out to, something that Nate's going to sing in a moment. Uh, But I'm going to show you a video real quick about how God can use you no matter what. If grace was a kingdom, I stopped at the gate, thinking I don't deserve to pass through after all the mistakes that I've made. Oh, but I heard a whisper as heaven bent down. Said, child, don't you know that the first will be last and the last get a crown? lines again. I'm just a beggar in the presence of a king. I wish I could bring so much more, but if it's true that you use broken things, then here I am. I am all yours. And friends, these aren't just fine-sounding words. This is the reality of everyone who has ever served God in a great way. You see, I want to tell you something about Mordecai. Mordecai was a flawed individual. Which caretaker of a child who is probably a teenager thinks it's a good idea that she would be in the pageant for the greatest womanizer of all time named King Xerxes? Does anyone see a flaw there? Right? I want to explain what that knight might have associated with. But anyway, um, and Xerxes, um, uh, who, who again is just a horrible dude who, who now is in the court with Esther, and Mordecai, he could have left from Babylon. In fact, in 539, uh, Darius decreed uh, that you could return if you were a Jew. So what is Mordecai doing 50 years later still in Babylon? Is it perhaps the case that he loves being there rather than following God in that other place, in the promised land? And Esther, when she hears of what she could do, 
When Mordecai puts on her, you know, you, you could influence the king. Her answer isn't exactly yes, folks. Look at what she first says. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned to the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends a golden scepter and spares their lives. And 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. A.K.A. not my circus, not my monkeys. And so she was reluctant. She was flawed. And think of how broken their circumstances were. She's a newlywed who hasn't seen her husband in 30 days. And it wasn't because Xerxes is a good dude doing like charity work, right? I won't go into that either, what he might be doing. But anyway, um, these are broken people with broken circumstances. I mean, even think of how the story ends. Yes, the Jews are spared, but it's not like everything is hunky-dory in utopia. I was reading a Bible commentary uh, who said satirically uh, about what, what, what didn't happen. Uh, this is what he said about what didn't happen. He said, and they lived happily ever after. Xerxes got saved, went to Bible college, planted a megachurch. Esther ran the women's ministry. They had 27 children who all grew up to be missionaries in China who are bilingual and they can speak Persian and Hebrew and Greek and, oh, by the way, you can find them in the concordance. No! None of that. Sometimes we need to be real and not sugarcoat it because our lives aren't sugarcoated. Your problems aren't sugarcoated. Your circumstances sure aren't. But if you've ever believed that that was a hindrance from you being used by the Lord, it's not the case. In fact, this is a major point for today that broken people in broken circumstances can still do great things. I know you're not perfected. You got issues, okay. Maybe they're anger issues, they're sadness issues, maybe they're children issues. We all got issues. Man, if he was waiting for a perfect one to serve, no one would ever serve. What about your circumstances? I know there are problems. Yeah, tell me about it. What's keeping you right now from, from doing what you can? From making the most out of it? See, I don't think it's chance that you are where you are. That's what comes out so clearly. But right now, God has called you to be everything he needs you to be in the circumstances that you find yourselves in. In fact, Mordecai, he said that beautifully by saying it this way. He said, and who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Who knows if you're not just in this family circumstance for such a time for God to use you for such a time as this. Who knows if if that company is just waiting for you to show up and act and continue to act the way you've been acting in integrity and in positivity uh, for, for, for what God plans through you. You're not in your situation by accident. You can still be used by God in great ways. Your brokenness does not hold you back. But to close, to close, I... Uh, I need to tell you about the book that I wrote. So uh, it's a book entitled uh, Free From Me. And I was just observing how when you follow Jesus, it's pretty much saying denying yourself to every other avenue so that you can serve others by, and serve God. And so free for me, I'm going to deny myself at home so that I can serve my family. Free for me, I'm going to de- deny myself in my company so that I can serve as God would have me serve. Free for me, it's not going to be about my glory. It's not going to be about my name or my kingdom. It's all going to be about Jesus' glory and Jesus' name and Jesus' kingdom. 
And uh, the book is on Amazon. It's getting rave reviews. I think uh, soon it will be a New York Times bestseller. And, and probably the reason that you've never heard of my book, Free From Me, is because I haven't written it yet. But it's a thought in my head. Doesn't that count? Like, isn't anyone proud of me that I thought of a great title and a great premise? I mean, Amazon readers could say something about my great idea, couldn't I? Right? Maybe if I created a... No. Oh, right? I'm poking fun at this idea, but, but isn't it true? Sometimes we gather around, we got the theory, we got the plan, we got the action steps. But then we don't do it. That ain't helping. The great intentions that don't come to fulfillment ain't helping a thing. Esther might have a great idea, but unless he approaches the king, it won't change anything. And so this is what we need to learn. That, that we, we don't just theorize, we actualize. We, we don't just sit and plan, we work the plan. We, we don't just think of how God might use us, we actually do it. So what has God put on your heart? What is it that you need to stop just planning and actually do? Maybe it is uh, serving at church. Maybe it is attaching yourself to church. Maybe it is what's going on in your family dynamic right now. The thing you haven't addressed that you need to address. Maybe it's that idea of how you could help your community. And you haven't pulled the trigger, but now is the time. Maybe it is inviting someone to this place or sharing your faith or praying for people. you got to take not just the theory, but actually do it to make a difference. Because what if... Frederick Muehlberg never voted. Das war nicht gut. And we could all be speaking German. What if I didn't have a Pastor Jerry Ewings who woke up every day and said, I'm going to teach young men how to be men. I think I'd be a different person. What if Jesus didn't wake up and say, I think it's a good thing to come down to earth and save mankind? We would be lost. Friends, we got work to do. Please don't underestimate the impact God can have through your life. And now let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I do believe that you can empower us by your spirit to do great things. Help us to see what you're putting in our path to do. Help it to be about your kingdom and your glory. And use it all so that others see their Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.